Well, as Mr. Rogers used to say, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> we enjoyed the drive up today. I did. Joanne slept. <laughs> but it was beautiful, and I'm grateful for, uh, for that. I was thinking earlier that I was trying to figure out my favorite season of the year. And uh, it's not fall, because fall is leading to winter, and I don't like winter. <laughs> so, and it's not summer, because summer, though I like summer, it's really hot most of the time, even if it is just for a couple of weeks. It's, you know, it's <laughs> summer. And then, then there's spring, and I really think I like spring. I think maybe it's my favorite um, my daughter likes fall, and that's okay. We know that's her season, but spring, I think, is for me. Lots of stuff going on around here, wouldn't you say? Man, oh man. Nice to see you on this uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, I understand that you have secured, at least uh, in, in uh, verbal agreement, if not written agreement, a, an interim pastor. That's coming to be with you for the month of, uh, of the summer, I guess. I don't know Tamar very well. Uh, I know she and her husband. I prayed for them as they planted the church. I think it was in Mason. And, uh, and we've crossed paths from time to time. But my assessment of her is that you're going to love her being here. I know she's been here to speak to you. And I think you're going to love her being here as a part of your congregation for these next months. May the Lord bless that effort. Well, speaking of spring, I think the seasons of nature uh, around us often give us... I'll figure out something to do with that water in a minute. Um, The seasons of nature can and often do serve to illustrate to us, the great truths of God's wonderful, redemptive plan. And I don't know if you think about it very much at all, but if the seasons teach us anything, it is at least this, that death does not have the last word. You know, in the fall of the year, the trees turn and their leaves fall to the ground and the Flowers fade and they die, but in that process, seeds fall into the ground as well. Then comes the long winter season, when the seeds of life lie buried beneath a blanket of snow and cold. There appears to be no life at all, and the sadness of winter drags on. But there's something we learn if we observe the seasons long enough. However severe the winter and however long it lasts, one thing is certain in God's seasonal illustration. Spring always comes. And with it, the promise of new life. Spring always comes. And with it, the promise of new life. Pretty soon that which was dead is replaced by new life and the world is beautiful once again. 
And every year, this marvelous illustration of nature reminds us that death does not have the last word. God's springtime is coming, and with it, the promise of new life at the resurrection. And just as there are seasonal winters, which eventually are overcome by springtime, so there are what I call spiritual winters in our lives that can drag on longer than we wish at times. But as in the seasonal illustration, these dark and difficult winters of life must always yield to the power of God's springtime. In our scripture lesson today, we learn of a spiritual winter that lasted only about a week, though it seemed like an eternity to these people. However, winter's death was turned into spring's life when Jesus came into the picture. I want to turn your attention to John chapter 11. We're not going to read all 44 verses or so, 45. We're going to just kind of jump and I'll try to keep you informed as to where we are. If you have your Bible, your New Testament or your device open, John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters went, sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. And Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, verse 6, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, He said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Verse 17 now. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Verse 20. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, and Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen? (laughs) That's worth saying amen for. I want you to notice three major things here. There will be lots of little things in between. Three observations I want you to make about this passage with me this morning. First one is this. There is the mystery of delay. The mystery of delay. Someone has said God's delays are not God's denials. And I think that's true. And such is the case here. Now, to get the foundation of why this is such a mystery, we need to understand verse 3 and verse 5 when it talks about God's, the Lord's love. Verse 3 says, Lord, the one you love is sick. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So in verse 3, the Greek word phileo is translated love. So this love is a friendship love. We probably are familiar with that. It's an affectionate kind of love. It's the kind of love that brothers have for each other. And so when they sent for him, they were saying, Lord, your friend Lazarus is sick. But in verse 5, the word translated love is agape. And that is a godlike love. It is love that always is faithful. It never subsides and wants the very best for the persons so loved. So... The first thing we need to understand is that Jesus loved this family. He loved them. He not only loved them as friends, he loved them with God's love, from God's perspective. He wanted the best for them. He was looking out for their best interests. And we do well to remember that God loves us the same way. He loves us the same way. He wants the ultimate best for us. We are the apple of his eye. His loving kindness toward us never comes to an end. His compassion toward us never fails. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's why verse 6 is so odd. It's really a mystery. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That does not make sense. That is not logical. Not normal. This is not what we do. Our first response would have been to get there as quickly as possible. If our friend was dying and the family sent for us, We wouldn't wait around two more days. We would get there as quickly as we could to be with them. So why did Jesus wait? I mean, human nature just doesn't wait. 
My grandmother, for instance, was dying in Troy, Ohio. This has been like 35 years ago. I pastored a church in Anderson, Indiana. It was a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour drive. They called my house on Sunday evening saying that she was critical. I went ahead and conducted the Sunday night service, and I was pretty tired afterward, and I suppose I was probably tempted to wait and go tomorrow, the next day in the morning. But I didn't wait. I headed out after the church, after the church service for that two and a half hour drive to, to see my grandmother. And when I got there, many of the family members were already gathered. And when it was my turn, I went in to say goodbye to my grandma. We had a, a few moments. She really couldn't talk, but she could nod. She could talk to me with her eyes. We had a good conversation. And that was over. I went out with the rest of the family, and we waited in the waiting room until finally, before sunrise, she went on to heaven. If I had waited, if I had waited till morning, I wouldn't have been there to say goodbye. I wouldn't have been able to see her before she passed on. It's not logical for us to just wait. So why did Jesus wait? Why didn't he rush to the side of Mary and Martha where Lazarus lay dying? After all, he could have done something about it. He could have healed him. He could have kept him from dying. But he waited. He waited two more days. Not because he was too busy. Not because he didn't care. But because the Father had a plan no one else could see at the time. Nobody else knew. He delays because the Father is putting into place the greatest confirmation of the truth of the resurrection of, aside from the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself from the grave. That reasoning is easy for us to see from our perspective right now. We look back and say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I see that. I see what Jesus was doing. But put yourself in the place of Mary and Martha. I've been trying to do that this week. Put yourself in their place. In reality, the delay for these two sisters had to be a disaster from their point of view. No doubt when Jesus didn't come right away, Satan began to really pour it on to these two. Satan might have said things like, some friend he is, he doesn't even come when you need him. Oh, he had enough time for other people. He heals everybody else, but not your brother. He died. Man, are you a sucker. You really thought he would do something, didn't you? He cares more about his own needs than he really cares about you. He had enough time for you when you were ministering to him, but now he won't come when you need him to minister to you. On and on, I don't know. Those kinds of accusations. You can imagine what these two sisters were going through. Couldn't figure it out. Why would Jesus not come? Let's just face the facts this morning. Jesus' delay was devastating to Mary and Martha. How could Jesus let us down like this? 
Now, the reason that some of you can probably imagine how they felt is because you have probably experienced something like that yourself. Maybe you're going through it right now. You lost your job. Or your spouse is breaking your heart. Or someone close to you is really hurting. A spiritual winter has set in to your life in one way or another. Satan, the enemy of your soul, is haunting you with accusations and faith-corrupting innuendos about God, trying to defeat you. You might be saying, it's pretty dark, actually. It's dreary in my life right now. It's winter time. And surely for these two sisters of Lazarus, it was a dark day. Remember that. Now move from the mystery of delay to this observation, because here we also see the ministry of tears. The ministry of tears. It's interesting to note that even before Jesus gets into Bethany, Martha comes out to meet him. Now, you got to figure out who Martha is here. She greets him by saying, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And that's kind of the way I think she said it. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus' response to her is a a statement of theological truth. He greets those words with theology. He said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? She said, well, yeah, sure, I believe that. I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the one, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. You see, what was going on there is that Martha's faith was crumbling If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You hear it? Faith is crumbling. And so Jesus, with the truth, offers her hope. Hope that she can take hold of. Hope that will help build her faith. A few minutes later, Mary finds out that Jesus is close to town. And so she runs out to meet him too. And did you notice this? She greets the master with exactly the same words that Martha used. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Her tone's different. The words are the same, but her heart is different. The greeting is different in this way. Martha was face to face with the master, evidently, somewhat accusing him. Mary is at his feet. Did you see it? She fell at his feet in utter despair and humility. If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And don't miss this. Rather than a theological statement of truth, The writer tells us, Jesus wept. A 
Only twice. Only twice does the scripture record for us the tears of Jesus. Once he wept over sinful Jerusalem. And then here. Why does he weep? Why does he weep? He isn't weeping as a result of his own sadness or grief regarding Lazarus. He knows what's about to happen. He isn't shedding tears of remorse because he hadn't come sooner. No, rather, he weeps with Mary in her sorrow. He weeps with those around Mary who are also weeping. Did you read it there? Verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her, Mary weeping. When he saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was, listen, deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Because of what happened to Lazarus? No. Because he loved them with the kind of love that you and I have difficulty understanding. But he identifies with her grief. He understands her frustration. He recognizes her despair. And his heart breaks for her. And he weeps. I want you to know, my friend, not only does Jesus weep with us over our sin at times, he weeps with our suffering as well. The scripture says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows what you're going through right now. He's touched by your weaknesses. He shares the burden of your darkness with you. You're not alone in your winter. Jesus is deeply moved and troubled by your situation. He identifies with your hurt. He is with you in your darkness. Someone trying to describe this said, He stoops to share our yoke so the burden of our grief may be lessened. Imagine what it would be like if he didn't do that. Author Ken Geyer put it this way. He said, here in this biblical scene, Jesus weeps. And for a beautifully tender moment, we are given the privilege to glimpse one of the most provocative embraces between deity and humanity in all the scriptures. It's God. Embracing her hurt. He wept. In the midst of your long winter, that winter of sadness, difficulty, God reaches out to embrace you. And I would encourage you today to put your spiritual arms around his neck and just draw close to him and let him comfort. Let me just add this. As representatives of the master, sometimes we are called on to minister in the same way he did. 
Often when our friend or loved one has experienced a severe loss, a deep hurt, or some other tragic circumstance, they don't need words of theological assurance like, uh, well, we know all things work together for good. They don't really need words of identity like, I know how you feel. I mean, those are words that we might say, but they're not often the words they need. They don't need anything. What may be needed most is for us to sit and hurt with them and weep with them, to merely be with them without words at all, ministering to them in their hurt. In doing so, we imitate the ministry of tears that Jesus demonstrated that day to the loved ones of Lazarus. The ministry of tears. Now finally, make this observation with me this morning. Notice the majesty of resurrection. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Then it says, the man who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. In 1987, I was going through a particularly dark place, a winter season in my life. I don't even remember all the circumstances, but I was pretty down. One day in the car, I heard a song on Christian radio that spoke to me, and it really did. And so I got home, and I called my minister of music, you're going to laugh at me. I called my minister of music and his wife to tell them about the song and ask if they were familiar with it. I didn't even, I didn't even know who it was that was singing the song. I just had heard the song. They recognized it. They told me it was on an album called Coming on Strong by Carmen. 1987. I know some of you weren't born there yet. I understand. <laughs> I didn't even know who Carmen was. That's how out of touch I was. I didn't even know who he was. But I immediately got in the car. I went to our local Christian bookstore. I found that album, that vinyl album. I bought it, and I brought it home. And I played that song over and over and over again. Why? Because somehow I found hope. That the winter that I was going through wasn't going to last forever. That God's springtime would finally come. I felt like as I was preparing this message for you today, that you should hear that song this morning too. So I went looking. My son John went looking with me. And we searched the internet until we found this version of Carmen singing it in one of his 1985 live concerts. And though Carmen died in 2021, I think it was, I think the Holy Spirit will use him to minister to you this morning and illustrate the truth of this message. Let's listen. resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall 
I supported his ministry. You say, man, I watched him confront the Pharisees. I was there when he fed the 5,000. I heard the people gasp when he healed the lame. You see, man, I even remember the littlest things. The things most folks would just forget. Like the simple, loving way he would just call my name. Now, up at the grave, stone rolled away with a loud voice. Jesus starts to say, See, brother, it just seemed like yesterday. I could hear that man saying my name. Praise God. Uh, as a matter of fact, it seemed like today I could hear that man saying my name. Praise the Lord. Matter of fact, I think I hear him calling me now. What? Lazarus. Jesus. Lazarus. Jesus. Lazarus. Jesus. Lazarus. Jesus. Lazarus. Jesus. What a moment. Man. And what a confirmation of God's truth. It was proof that Jesus is who he says he is. The resurrection and the life. After four long, miserable days of winter in the lives of that family, the Son of God brings the promise of spring to reality, and Lazarus is alive. Here's what I want you to know. Because of our relationship with Jesus, no matter how long our winter, whether four days or four decades, One thing is absolutely certain. It can't last forever. Winter must always give way to spring. And when we finally experience the spiritual springtime of life, it will reveal indeed that suffering has given way to healing and sorrow has given way to joy and defeat has surrendered to victory and tragedy has been turned into triumph and death has been conquered by life. It may be winter now for you, but I want you to know that spring is just around the corner. And bringing the message to a close, I just want to give you, I think it's about eight statements, and I'm quickly going to go through them, and there's a place you can fill in a couple of blanks in that list, but these are, I call it the promise of spring for the winters of life. First one is this, God's spring always comes. You can count on it. Second one, 
God sometimes delays his spring longer than we would like. Three, Satan will take advantage of the delay. You can be sure of that. The delay may even turn into darkness. But remember, number five, God has purpose in the delay. Never forget number six, no matter how dark, we can still be sure of God's love. Seven, our hurt touches God and he helps us bear the burden. And finally, again, winter won't last forever. So I want to encourage you to consider the springtime God has for you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, if you know him as your Savior and you're experiencing a winter time in your life, trust God to bring the springtime soon. Trust him until he brings it. And if you're not a Christian yet, and your life seems like one long winter of doubt and disappointment and discouragement, I would urge you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ right now and begin to let him bring into your life his springtime, his new life. Life that only comes through the power of his resurrection. I want you to stand with me quietly and bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I may be wrong, but it seems like there might be one or two here this morning at least that are experiencing a really tough spiritual winter in your life. And if you are, God sent me here to tell you that it's springtime. It's coming. And if it's something you'd like to pray about just before I, I bring this message to a close in prayer, if you'd like to pray about it, I would invite you to come. You'd just say, you know, in my coming, I'm saying I'm going through a winter time, but I'm trusting God for his spring in my life. And you'd come kneel here, or you'd come kneel in the front seat, or you'd come and stand. You don't have to come at all. But I want, you to give, want to give you that invitation. It might be an expression of your faith right now, here today. You say, it's winter time, but I know God's spring is coming. Pray for me. That's the way you feel. Come on. Gonna wait another moment. Maybe somebody else wants to come.
I don't want you to feel obligated, but if you'd like to just come and, and lay your hands on this person who's kneeling here at the altar, you don't need to say anything, but just let them know you're there and you're praying with them. And if you're in your seat and you didn't come, I want you to know we're praying for you as well. Let's pray together. Our Father, you have done so much for us. And it seems incredible that in the midst of all that you've done for us, that are things that are so positive in our life, that there would ever come moments of discouragement and doubt, winter in our lives, but they come. And Lord, today I pray for those who may be experiencing that in their own life. I pray that you will lift them up. I pray, Father, that somehow they will know you are weeping with them, that you're touched by their weakness, their darkness, the hard place that they're in. Their hurts are your hurts. And I pray, Father, that you will just encourage them with your presence today. And help them to be sure, to know without doubt, that your springtime is coming. We don't know exactly when it's coming. We, we don't know what may be in store in the meantime. But God, we know that you are the resurrection and the life through Jesus, our Savior, and whether we're talking about our spiritual life or we're talking about physical death, you're still the resurrection of the life. And so I pray that you will be encouraging and strengthening to these who need it today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.